Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, Senator Elizabeth Warren proposes a substantial infringement on the right to petition the government for aggressive grievances. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals rejects a challenge to the FCC's rescission of an Obama-era rule classifying internet service providers as public utilities, and we hit the highlights of recent labor union filings that both show odd spending habits and illustrate the deep involvement of big labor in the institutional left-wing infrastructure. As part of a plan to attack the influence of money in politics, read to prevent business and free market interests from competing with labor union and other left-wing interests in political advocacy, U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts has proposed substantial taxes on petitioning the government for aggressive grievances beyond a certain financial threshold. I choose that language rather than the senator's preferred lobbying because it illustrates a major problem with the proposal, the United States Constitution, which explicitly states that Congress shall make no law abridging the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Lobbying is merely a faction of the people petitioning the government for favorable legislation or favorable regulatory action. Politico cited law professor Philip Hackney, formerly a staffer in the chief counsel's office of the IRS, noting that while the Supreme Court has allowed the scrapping of tax deductions for some lobbying expenses, a tax at the scale Senator Warren proposes, in excess of 75%, would likely be looked upon unfavorably. Hackney noted, This is about some of the most important speech we have, in a lot of ways, the ability to talk to your congressman. I'm inclined to think this wouldn't pass muster. The Institute for Free Speech's Bradley Smith and Luke Wachab, with whom we discussed free speech issues in episode 33 of this podcast, wrote in National Review objecting to Senator Warren's plan to, quote, silence dissent. Smith and Wachab note, But just as the government cannot tax the excessive exercise of religion or the excessive publishing of newspaper editorials, it has no business imposing a special tax on groups that exercise their petition rights excessively. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, often called the second-highest court in the nation, handed down its ruling on the Federal Communications Commission's decision to reverse Obama-era rules that regulated Internet service providers, ISPs, as Title II public utilities. The decision held that the FCC did not exceed its authority, though it held open the possibility that states, most notably California, might enact their own net neutrality regulations. Network neutrality is the principle that all information packets traveling through the internet must be priced alike and must not be treated differently by the internet service providers through which users access the internet. To make things simple, ISPs, like Verizon and AT&T, don't like the Title II rules, and content provider companies, like Google and Facebook, like the Title II rules. Large content providers use huge percentages of the ISP's bandwidth infrastructure, and they don't want to pay more for the privilege. For more in-depth coverage of the issue, we looked at net neutrality in Episode 3 of this podcast, released when the FCC was considering whether to overturn the Obama-era rules. While the current FCC majority has ties to ISPs—Chairman Ajit Pai used to work for Verizon—the Obama administration had ties to the content providers, perhaps most notably Deputy White House Chief Technology Officer Andrew McLaughlin, formerly head of global public policy for Google. Also backing the rules are left-wing technology activists, like Free Press, co-founded by socialist activist Robert McChesney. Ironically, this ties into the first item in our podcast today. Many of the same foundations and organizations—think the Ford Foundation, Open Society Foundations, and Pew Charitable Trusts—that had funded the last round of campaign finance regulations, which went on to damage the political parties as institutions able to represent and organize from the centers of the two major American ideological tendencies, making them ripe for takeovers by radicals— moved on to founding net neutrality activism after the McCain-Feingold campaign regulations passed. 
For good measure, the Arabella Advisors' dark money network has done its fair share of promoting Title II regulations. Demand Progress is a project of the Arabella-affiliated 1630 Fund and a major backer of net neutrality advocacy, alongside other Arabella-affiliated groups like Media Democracy Fund and Media Democracy Action Fund. One can presume that when Demand Progress vows to, quote, eliminate the corrupting influence of big money in politics, it's not counting the half-billion-dollar-per-year Arabella network from which it springs. And in our final item, we put the Landrum-Griffin Act, a piece of federal labor transparency legislation whose 60th anniversary was marked by the Department of Labor and this podcast last week, to good use, scrutinizing the annual financial reports filed in recent weeks by a number of national labor unions that use a non-calendar fiscal year. Among them, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, the Plumbers Union, the Communications Workers Union, the AFL-CIO, and the American Federation of Teachers. We found dues dollars going to support bad taste, bad baseball, and bad friends of big labor. The electrical workers brought the bad taste. The union spent over $28,000 at Dick's Last Resort, a notorious chain of dive bars. The Plumbers Union, also known as the United Association, spent over $150,000 supporting bad baseball. The UA support sponsors the Baltimore Orioles, who lost 108 games in the recently ended season. Someone at the Communication Workers of America, a particularly left-wing union, didn't get the message that liberals are supposed to be the party of science. The union spent almost $10,000 at the Institute for Noetic Sciences, a pseudoscience organization that runs the Earthrise Transformative Learning Center outside San Francisco. AFL-CIO demonstrated its commitment to the campaigns of the organized left, with a $60,000 contribution to neo-philanthropy Care of FCCP, presumably the Funders Committee for Civic Participation, a network of institutional liberal funders including the Bowman Foundation, the SCIU-owned Amalgamated Bank, and the Joyce Foundation, among others, involved in voter mobilization and census activism and the American Federation of Teachers confirmed its radicalism by providing $50,000 to the controversial Women's March Incorporated, after an expose had showed the group's leadership had undercurrents of anti-Semitism and ties to radical extremists. It's not surprising. The AFT's president, Randy Weingarten, had made a statement defending the group's leadership amid the firestorm of criticism, but it illustrates the need for government workers to be aware of their Janus rights to refrain from financially supporting the often radical labor unions they often did not choose to establish. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week. <laughs>